Welcome back to Generals and Napoleon, episode 52, the Battle of Rolitsa, Wellington's first victory in the Peninsula War. We have our very special guest back once again, our good friend Marcus Cribb, who has just done a tour of the Battle of Waterloo, of uh, the battlefields there. Marcus, welcome back. Hi again. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, it's fantastic to be back on and that you say kind of really am fresh off the field. Yeah, yeah, fresh off the field. Um, how did that go, by the way? Did you have a good tour of the uh, Waterloo battlefield? I had a fantastic time. It was so special to be on the battlefield of Waterloo on the anniversary with a fantastic group of, you know, just really lovely guys. Uh, came and uh, we, you know, we talked and walked all day. It was a long route. We think about well over ten kilometers. Um, but what kind of one of the things that made it really special was the fact that there were, I won't embarrass them by naming them, but uh, there were two NATO army officers who came down uh, from their office near uh, Brussels who were listening to this podcast and heard of it. And You're decided... kidding. I, so I, I can't imagine that. Someone was listening to my podcast and said, ah, I, I'm going to go see the battlefield with Marcus on June 18th. That's incredible. Isn't it great? And I just think the the social media and podcasting and all of that things uh, can sometimes, you know, receive a bit of negative press, especially social media. And I uh, just that the power of the good. And we we all sat outside a little a little cafe in uh, Plants Noir uh, called Cafe Velo, uh, Gros Velo. And uh, we all had a Waterloo beer and we were just everyone just kind of was unexpressedly just being a nerd saying what they loved about history or you know wargaming or maps or you know hobbies and it was just everybody was just really enjoying each other's company and being as close to the history really as we could get on the on the anniversary but yeah people are very international as well from lots of different nations and yeah. and the fact we were having people who came through because they heard you and me, I just think it's a fantastic experience. So yeah. uh, long may that continue, really. Yeah, an American and a Brit talking to each other on a podcast. And then two guys who work from NATO show up at your, your tour. I think that's a wonderful story. So It was yeah. it was really special. And we had some really actors join us. And uh, if, if they happen to listen to this, you know, thank you again for their, their time. And uh, one of the the French reenactors, such as both Belgian, but French for the day ambushed us. And so we got the smell of gunpowder uh, <laughs> there. And then we stood in the sand pit for the 95th Rifles and talked about weapons and tactics. And that was just the beginning of the day. Yeah, sounds great. Sounds great. And uh, shout out to all of our friends at NATO and the military and all our veterans around the world. I appreciate Absolutely. everyone who listens to our show, uh, especially those folks. But today's discussion, yeah. we're going to talk about not a battle in Belgium, but more Peninsula War. It's actually, would you say this is the first real battle? Of the Well, I guess the Spanish were fighting, but the Battle of Rolica. Correct. The Battle of Rolica was the first one where the British really got involved, correct? Yes, correct. So we, we do have actually quite a few uh, engagements uh, before this with the, uh, the Spanish. Uh, but this is the first major engagement. Mm -hmm. uh, but this is the uh, this is the first major engagement by uh, Arthur Wellesley, uh, later to be the Duke of Wellington, uh, kind of going in against a substantial French force. But it's it's very different to how we often think of the Peninsula War. So it turns a few things on its head. Okay, well, let's give some background. Um, so obviously Napoleon, you know, in the early 1800s is kind of running roughshod over 
Europe, and he kind of turns his attention to Portugal because they're England's oldest ally. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that friendship with uh, Portugal goes back centuries, uh, early medieval era. Right. And uh, she was celebrated very recently as the oldest standing treaty of friendship uh, or in the world that's still mm-hmm. in, in effect. So that, it, it does go back a long way. And it, and it, it comes to a head. You know, we, we were always going to keep trading with the Portuguese. And that's led the back door open on the continental system. That right. is uh, Napoleon's system to put a chokehold on Britain through blocking everybody's trade. Right. And so Napoleon sent one of his oldest friends, General Junot, to take over the General country. Junot. Yeah. Was that 1807 or 1808? Oh, somewhere around. So it's, eight, it's, it's 1807. Okay. Uh, they march and uh, march into Lisbon uh, quite, quite easily. Um, the Portuguese know uh, that they're not going to be able to put up uh, resistance at that time. Uh, ironically, they actually out uh, to all of Napoleon's uh, requests. So Napoleon says, you know, you've got to stop trading with Britain. And they initially say, no, uh, that's, that's never going to happen. And then they're threatened with military might. And they say they will do it. And then Napoleon says, well, I want this as an extra bit. And they say, okay. And then they eventually actually say, you have to declare war on Britain. And right. they say, well, we don't declare war on our allies, but it's the face between this and annihilation. So they de facto declare war on Britain. But the story goes that that evening uh, of declaring war, uh, they call in one of the captains of a Royal Navy ship that's in Lisbon Harbour and basically enter into secret negotiations from the offset saying it's not going to be, we're not actually going to attack you and allow some of the Royal Navy vessels even to sail away. Okay. So it, it, but legally on paper, you know, the Portuguese do everything that Napoleon says. He invades anyway. Uh, the Portuguese royal family and the courts uh, barely escape. It's like the same day that they sail out of harbour as Juno's coming down the, the hill into Lisbon. And you can see the ship sailing out of Lisbon Harbour. And right. that's really it. But within uh, within quite a short period of time, I think it's within two weeks, uh, the French do start executing uh, people in Lisbon as well. So it, it mm-hmm. starts this theme of the Peninsula War where it gets pretty dark pretty quickly. Yeah, so... This um, uh, Battle of Rolica, this was the start of the British intervention in the Peninsula War. Yes. And when the British landed to support their allies, the Portuguese, the French were not quite ready to repel them yet. Now, Portugal has a huge coastline, so it was probably very difficult for Junot to defend all of it. Yeah, it's a, it's a big, long coast, actually, for quite a long, uh, thin country, Portugal, in many ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's got lots of good ports, you know, again, for, for trading. And uh, it gives uh, Wellesley, as he was, uh, a good chance to kind of go on the offensive. Uh, He can uh, pick where he wants to strike. And this is what I start to love about not just the battle, but the campaign is uh, we've got Wellington, who will be um, going up against the French and going on the offensive. So anyone who's uh, listened to any of my other things, such as uh, History Rage podcast, uh, will know that anyone who says that Wellington was a defensive general, that really really gets my goat. That really triggers me, grinds my gears. So... Um, the, he goes up, he goes on the offensive from the outset. So both in the campaign and in the Battle of Relitha, General Juno is in uh, Portugal and uh, doing the, you know, some of the old crimes of uh, murder and looting uh, that we start to see. But facing up towards uh, Wellesley is General Delaborde. Uh, he's facing, he's pushed off a bit to the side, really. Right. And just four dates, we're now talking August 17th, 1808, and uh, Rolica, Rolitha is along the coastline of Portugal. And the British and Portuguese have about 15,000 troops. 
and the French under Delaborde have 4,500 troops. Um, it seems like that Delaborde was kind of sent as a holding force until the commander-in-chief, Junot, could amass a larger army to battle Wellington. Is that about right? So you've got General Junot, uh, who's in overall command. General uh, Louis Sun, uh, he's got a force of about 6,500 men who's meant to be uh, meeting with Delaborde. They'd have um, roughly equal forces to uh, Wellesley's. Uh, but Wellesley goes in pretty quickly and manages to get to Delaborde before Loisan or um, Juno could actually meet up with them. Okay. And just to give some background on Delaborde, you know, he, uh, a talented man. Uh, he, he was involved at the Siege of Toulon. He'd been in the army for, for a while, so he wasn't, um, you know, obviously he's not Napoleon that he's up against, but he's a, he's a good general as far as I can tell. Yeah, he seems like a good general. You know, he's he's come up the ranks in the kind of classic French revolutionary way, um, son of quite uh, lower classes and made his way up through the ranks and has had plenty of experience, you know. Yeah. Uh, it was a very active era for the uh, the French army. And so uh, he's he's got experience and he's, uh, by all accounts, you know, he's got a good troop uh, command as well. Yeah, I just like to point that out because sometimes people think both for Napoleon and the Duke of Wellington that they were up against bungling foolish generals but they weren't right. they were up against experienced whether it was the austrians generals even though they're 70 or 80 years old in some cases or the prussians or in wellington's case he was up against the marshals these are all military men they're all talented in their own right that they defeated yeah I, I i can't think of almost anyone apart from maybe joseph bonaparte uh, and later jerome bonaparte you know he comes up against Ney and Marmont and, and all of the kind of some of the big net insults obviously multiple times nearly all of the uh, major names of the era apart from the the Iron Marshal and MacDonald mm-hmm. um, so these are very experienced commanders uh, which helps put it into perspective you know what an achievement is to to beat these men and again the French although they're in times of conscription they're fighting on both fronts so their soldiers um, as soon as you know they're kind of out of the depot are getting into campaigns very quickly Right. So um, in, in terms of the battle itself, um, you know, Delbord, like I said, was meant as a holding force. That's why he's got 4,500 troops against 15,000 British. Um, I think he was just sent there to delay Wellington as opposed to defeat him. But how, how did the battle kind of start up? So uh, Wellesley goes against some of the outlying uh, troops uh, on the 16th of August at Oberdos the opening uh, of the battle and um, that's actually with some skirmishes from the rifles and they push up a hill near a famous windmill mm-hmm. uh, then that allows Delaborde to choose very good positions uh, he goes uh, above the village of Relitha, uh, as sorry as best as I can pronounce the Portuguese apologies <laughs> to any uh, native Portuguese my uh, pronunciations are famously bad but uh, he goes above the uh, village of Relitha and uh, on a very high uh, outcrop. And that allows Wellesley to kind of form up against him. Uh, but it's, it's a good plan by Delaborde uh, because, you know, he's outnumbered. Yeah, he is. And um, because he's outnumbered almost three to one, uh, Wellington attempts a double envelopment, correct? Like a, like a flanking maneuver? Yeah, so he splits his army into, into three. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's what we see. So he splits his army into three, one coming, going down the middle, uh, and then two on either side. And that would allow him to either attack from three sides or actually potentially uh, envelop 
uh, go round the back of Delaborde. What Delaborde uh, sees is he kind of at this opening skirmishes sees that he's about to be enveloped by uh, the uh, British and Portuguese there, mm-hmm. and he falls back to an even more kind of indomitable position on uh, back uh, behind the village on these very very steep slopes. So, without getting too into military strategy and tactics, why is getting flanked such a big deal when you're in battle? Okay, so probably a couple of different reasons. Um, firstly, uh, the morale of that. You are expecting to, to fight the enemy, you know, face-to-face. Right. Um, anything else is massively disorientating, uh, especially from today backwards. Um, but especially then when you're fighting in uh, two, three, or four-man ranks, um, you actually, if you're being attacked from the sides, you will basically see, you know, the shoulders and the, the ear of the man either side of you. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're being attacked from behind, you, you literally cannot see the people behind you because their their shackos, their bearskins, are right. blocking your view. Right. So you're going to feel very disorientated, and then you're being pushed forwards. The idea of being attacked in the back, you know, we, we talk about the saves, you know, being stabbed in the back, you are literally vulnerable. You cannot defend yourself. Right. So with Napoleonic tactics of tight lines and blocks and columns, um, you're going to be very vulnerable as an individual. So yeah. men are more likely to then think about turning around. And once you turn around or face away from the enemy, are you or the new enemy, are you likely to, to run away effectively, uh, maneuver back? Right. Uh, and that's that you talk about axis of attack. If you're, all your guns and rifles are pointed in one direction and then yes. someone attacks you at a 90 degree angle, it's hard to turn that whole line to that attack coming from the 90-degree angle. It's almost impossible. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply analogy like if you had school children they all link arms in the playground and then try to turn quite unwieldy so they can do things uh they can you know have the whole rear rank turn around face uh but then you've got officers trying to command two different sides and they're they're split attention you can form squares which as you would do for uh, receiving cavalry but actually that's a very unwieldy formation they're almost impossible to move uh with any tap uh, with any kind of degree of command and control we do see some notable exceptions such as uh, battle of Fuentes de uno uh, but it, it's it's not what it's designed for. It's designed to repel cavalry. So you've got that element uh, there as well. And there are also, um, if you're being attacked in the rear, that's where you tend to keep your supplies. That's where you tend to be, has your general mounted. That's where you tend to also, you know, have your route of retreat or uh, in certain situations, you know, your camp or your camp followers, your friends who mending your shoe horses. Right. Uh, you do not want them attacked, they're defenseless. Uh, and also then if you're, you're burning your, your wagon, that's your, that's your food. You're burning your tent, that's your, um, that's your shelter. And they might even take your pay chest or, you know, supplies that you want. So... Right really bad situation uh it's logistically bad but also from a, the morale as well as command and control it's about as bad a situation as can get it's it's much easier if the enemy is to your front so right. that's why people try to get around the flanks as best as possible yeah. always pushing there and you know this is where wellesley does pretty well to try to threaten it at the beginning and forces delaborde back from his first position to a secondary 
Actually, the secondary position is so strong, uh, it's not too big of a disadvantage, but it does start to threaten Delaborde from the flanks then. Right, and uh, yeah, Delaborde avoided the trap twice and, and fights a good rear guard action. What happens with Colonel Lake of the 29th Regiment of Foot? So, whilst he's going in on the attack, he can um, see Delaborde atop this um, position uh, with really steep, uh, rocky terrain and four gullies. So they're like the area that the rocks are falling down, the water will fall down in the heavy rain. And uh, Colonel Lake of the 29 uh, Worcestershire Regiment, uh, he's going in and leads his attack with his regiment forwards uh, prematurely before everyone's in position. Uh, they keep going. Uh, Wellesley had intended uh, to wait until the flanking columns now have got around the side and to attack from three positions at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, the, this is, this is yeah, it's very strange because as the 29th got this gully, uh, at the top, one of the French Swiss regiments are facing them. Mm-hmm. And there's a really confusing point here that the Swiss maybe attempt, we think, to change sides, mm-hmm. uh, reverse their muskets and uh, advance to uh, shake hands with the British. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's a bit of a strange one. Uh, it's not very Swiss in their normal nature. Uh, maybe it's the first time because they're, you know, facing uh, the British in the peninsula. A bit unsure. But uh, they're attacked in the side and the rear by the French positions. Uh-huh. And now they're kind of, they're focusing on, you know, potential turncoat situation. They're attacked in the flank, the rear, at close range, uh, less than 200 yards mm. uh, by the French in this gully. Mm-hmm. That kind of means that if you almost think they're in um, a bit of a half-pipe situation, right? Uh, any musket balls that misses them is going to start ricocheting around. I mean, we're, something we were talking about on the battlefield, the noise of a musket, if you're firing out of the gully, actually, it's going to be deafening themselves and the smoke's going to be in there. Right. They, they can't get out of this gully. It's really steep with uh, stones. Uh, it's really a poor position for them to be in. There's not much shelter. Position really, yeah. And uh, I believe uh, Colonel Lake loses his life. Uh, during all this he does he's he's at the head of the column um he's uh, actually on on his horse um so really really noticeable uh, he's killed uh, four other officers are killed and uh, i think 30 of his men are taken uh, prisoner mm. and uh, a lot more are killed and wounded and they kind of stagger back down the gully uh, this attack having just totally failed unprompted uh, and they've lost their commanding officer terrible so despite this setback uh, with Colonel Lake and his regiment, how did the British kind of secure the victory? Yeah, so it's, it's a big setback, but uh, people observing it, Wellesley and our old friend, uh, G- General Roland Daddy Hill, they're watching. Mm-hmm. So they okay. start to send in some, some more units, such as the uh, 9th East Norfolk Regiment. They link it back in with the 29th and their survivors, and they push up one gully. Uh, meanwhile, on one side, uh, you've got the uh, famous 95th Rifles, and they go up along with the 5th 60th Rifles, who uh, the Royal American Regiment, uh, who are actually largely Germans, Poles, and Czechs. And they mm-hmm. start to push in at two different directions at quite close quarters. Famously, the uh, the riflemen get caught in a little bit of open, uh, move under a wall, and then uh, one one of the private soldiers starts out, over, boys, over, over, boys, over. And they, they fix bayonets and uh, go in. Uh, the French actually launch a counterattack uh, yeah. with the, the surviving troops, and it ends up uh, with kind of the British troops clawing their way up the cliff, some uh, some artillery fire from a distance, uh, until Delaborde can see that the um, about a mile away that one of these flanking columns is going to catch him out. 
Right. Uh, and that's when he realizes that actually he's close to being trapped. The British have put very good uh, pressure on the front. Delaborde's counterattacked kind of perfectly. It's all going, both sides are fighting, you know, at very close quarters on a cliff edge. Right. Uh, but Delaborde's about to be caught out. Wellington's got the uh, superior numbers and uh, he starts to withdraw them. Actually withdraws them in very good order. Uh, the French battalion uh, moved back in pairs, uh, which is, we always kind of liken it for modern military, you, you fight in pairs, one fires, one maneuvers, and the right. French kind of expand that out to battalion level, so thousands of men, and one moving back, one, one covering. Uh, and you know that, that works quite well. Delaborde's small cavalry force uh, screen off the British cavalry force, and actually uh, manages to push uh, through the pursuit. Um, However, the British infantry catch up with the French and capture um, some more infantry and three of their guns. Yeah. And Bellaborde is forced to, to march away. Yeah, and I, I do want to talk about rear guard actions a little bit. You know, Marshal Ney was phenomenal with his rear guards. Now, I understand you don't win battles or wars by retreating, usually. Um, but there's good ways to do it. And like we discussed at Talamanca, there's bad ways to do it when you have a... Mm. Uh, 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 units with low morale or you do it in a sloppy way and then your rear guard turns into rout if you don't do it correctly that's it so it's really important and that's one of those moments that it can all go very wrong uh as i was saying earlier you know the impetus to to turn a face and run away is, is quite human mm -hmm. the fight and flight nature in our in our brains uh and people with face but they are you know losing in morale uh, want to get get away you know especially if you're following the path that you've come down in the morning you know you know there's a there's a camp there's a home there's a bed at the other end of it uh, right. certainly you've got the enemy behind you so want to get away uh, it's really important there to maintain morale and that's normally at kind of like unit level so battalion level of commanders and sergeant majors shouting being more fierce this is where the sergeant majors come into play you right. know your men are as scared of your sergeant major as you are of the enemy and uh, right. that's that's something that's so unique also about um early battles in com comparison to 20th century and 21st century is that that close unit cohesion so we we always have a uh, big uh, part of uh, any modern forces your unit honor uh, really does come into it and in the uh, sense the spirit uh, but actually that that marching in close order that you see um you know especially uh, 16th 17th and 18th century but mo moving very closely uh, in rank and file it feels so alien to us today right and it's it, it's very slow way to move people it's very slow and deliberate and you know Delaborde manages to hold that and he's moving units back i'll move one and then we move the other i move one then i move the other right. so it's not the quickest way uh but it's quite a safe way okay well let's i'll i'll let's talk about the battle results i'll talk about the actual figures but i i do want you to touch on why it was important for both the british and the french this even though it's not a huge battle um no it's not the allies lose 491 killed wounded or captured the French lose about 650 plus, as you mentioned, three cannons lost. Why was this, even though it was a small battle, it was it was a victory for the British against Napoleon's army. Why was it so important? Yeah, I mean, you, you, you hinted on it there already in itself, actually. Uh, this is important from a, a PR point of view, PR propaganda, depending on your viewpoint, mm -hmm. um, that we've taken the, the war to the French in, uh, in overseas mm -hmm. and... Uh, you know, the first action, including a small skirmish the day before, has been uh, a victory. Mm -hmm. 
and it's always going to be known as you know napoleon's army napoleon's french uh, and you know we start to see those kind of uh, images uh, very quickly and british press are fantastic at this point of uh, characterizing uh, napoleon he was about five foot five and a half he was kind of roughly average height um for the for the french mm-hmm. and um wellesley's famously quite quite slim so we start to see these caricatures of wellesley as he becomes wellington gets his caricatures of being very tall you know taller than a normal man even skinnier with his nose which is famously quite profoundly hooked out becomes this massive beak and uh, he gets these features and napoleon gets shorter and shorter and shorter until he's about ankle height in the british press and so it, it becomes it becomes a really good one for the news you know uh, everyone likes to see a victory and good news overseas and it helps cover up the the death and destruction of a battle certainly and so it becomes a real propaganda piece which is something our our press have always done quite well at Uh, and also tactically it allows wellesley now to move towards uh, the coast and at the coast uh, very quickly uh, he starts to receive uh, following reinforcements because actually this is a relatively small force that he's commanding really is kind of like two to three brigades so right. he needs to receive uh, reinforcements to continue his campaign yeah and, and you know i'd like to point out that the earlier british ventures against the french whether it was at toulon or uh was it flanders where they had to retreat um well it's mm. a, yeah so yeah forays into the continent had not gone well and this was a battle that did go well yeah and we've had uh, actually quite a few decades of uh warfare in the low countries now that you know uh, Netherlands and uh, Belgium mm-hmm. and many of them have gone really badly mm-hmm. um, ironically uh, Wellesley had had lots of success in India mm-hmm. um, but we're less interested in that it feels very mentally very far away mm-hmm. uh, and it's something we we're discussing um, actually on the battlefield why do you care about you know na- your nation's allies and, and neighbors so much more than you know a history that's maybe in Japan or something like that Right. Uh, certainly it's interesting but you don't have that emotional connection sometimes unless it's within your personal culture and again that, that's a that's a human psyche element there mm. we want we want victories that are close to home we want victories against our you know some of our old enemies here we've got britain versus france you know um elements there of agincourt and cressy are always going to be mentioned and brought up right and so this is giving that first victory it's the opening of um the saga of the peninsula war and it opens with a british victory it's also we see wellesley attacking not up one but up two slopes so i cannot stress enough you know he's not a defensive general he's on the attack right right yeah no very very big win for the british and for the future duke wellington and um yeah setback for sure for the french and uh they're gonna face another one a few days later but Merrill. and uh, you know i find uh delaborde himself is a very interesting character he goes on and has uh, quite an interesting uh, career himself mm-hmm. uh, it's uh, we see him uh, pop up quite a bit in the uh, the porto campaign for example so it's certainly not the end of certainly not the end of his career and um i also he, most people actually know his his name because his uh, his son becomes a, a very famous uh, french painter that's right so uh, Without spoiling any other stories, he, he does survive the Peninsula War as well. He does, he does. Uh, well, thank you for that, Marcus. That was a good overview of uh, the Battle of Rolica. And um, I think it was really interesting. I think we gave a, a good sketch of the battle and, and why it was important. Yeah, it's, it's you know, in the scheme of things, quite a small engagement. 
Um, but with the forces involved, it is more than a skirmish, certainly. You've got brigade level uh, plus troops uh, in that. Uh, but it, it's got a, quite a few elements, as I say, going on the attack, counter charges, some very strange actions uh, by the Swiss, uh, the sacrifice of Colonel uh, Lake, which actually um, there's a quite stunning uh, memorial, a small cross, a stone cross, at uh, the position where Colonel Lake fell at the top of that gully. Mm. Um, and it's actually quite well kept. And I do see um, some wreaths there uh, posted from time to time on photos. So it's mm. quite a beautiful one to to visit as well. Yeah, I'd like to get over there sometime. Sounds like an yeah. interesting place to visit. All right, Certainly. well, yeah, thank you, my friend. And uh, yeah, I appreciate you doing one more episode with us. That was fantastic. You're you're always very welcome. It's great to do these, and uh, it's nice to, to do both generals and battles, really. Yeah, yeah, uh, uh, or, or battles in Napoleon, or whatever we want to call battles it. Battles in Napoleon, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so yet to be undecided. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, thank you, my friend. And uh, yeah, we'll talk again soon and uh, look forward to our next episode. Uh, always look forward to the next episode. And again, you know, to people listening, um, you know, thank you for the support because uh, it's genuinely really heartfelt in making these connections and then actually meeting some people out on the battlefields. Just how cool is that? I love it. Yep. And uh, one more shout out for your Twitter uh, um for your twitter page and dukeofwellington.org dukeofwellington.org and uh, i've written up the uh, battle of relief uh there if you uh, want to do a bit more reading and it's got some sources on those as well for the battle yeah and one more note about your september tour of the portuguese and spanish battlefields correct yeah in september we're, we're going out and we're seeing the battle of relief so um if this kind of started to to kind of get pick your interest then uh, uh we're gonna be walking <laughs> if, if i get my way um if i'm anything to go by we'll be walking up that uh that slope that colonel lake attacks up so <laughs> now there uh, will be buses in between battlefields not walking all the way across yeah the yeah we might we might allow buses rather than hobnail boots <laughs> but that's if we're feeling really kind that day um but certainly i think would be the option to to maybe walk up one of the uh, attacking slopes and you there's nothing like feeling that you know the battlefield than being there I yeah that's, that's what i that's what i've started to learn as much as i can yeah that sounds really cool all right bud well thanks again and uh, we'll talk soon